Yeah, what gets me really excited about this passage, but also I think I think it's just really important. Like, I think sometimes we don't understand the full scale of what salvation is. And Paul reminds us of that starting in verse 24, where he says, let me remind you of what's all going to happen. Like, because Jesus has been resurrected as the first fruits, there's coming a day when he will raise us up from the grave. And he talks about the things that will happen. There will be a judgment day. Jesus will return. And then finally, he will defeat death and the devil once and for all. And it says that he will deliver the kingdom to his father. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie, the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, we are back in our series, continuing through the letter uh, from Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and, and our, our series has been called Grace and Truth. And we're nearing the end. We're getting towards the end of this letter, and it's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, as we saw last week, you know, um, Paul brings back the the church to the gospel, and uh, and this week we can continue in chapter fifteen, uh, in verse uh, starting verse twelve. And the, and the title of this week's message was "What Jesus' Resur- Resurrection Means for You." And again, if you missed any of that, whitefieldschurch.com. You can download it there and any of your favorite streaming platforms. We're on Facebook and, of course, YouTube. And if you would, it would just help us out a lot. You're watching this right now or you're listening to us. Just hit subscribe, uh, like, uh, leave a, uh, a review uh, or rate and review it. And uh, and that certainly helps us out. You know, when people are just asking questions, asking questions about the resurrection and uh, we want that those answers, you know, to pop up, and uh, you can help us out uh, by by you know hitting like, subscribe, you know, interacting with the content, and that makes sure that when people are typing in these questions, they're getting Christ-centered, gospel-centered answers to their questions. So here in First Corinthians chapter 15, I think you know one of the things we see, you know, as Paul's returning the church back to the gospel. And I just love the way he starts out this chapter. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And, you know, as we look here at 1 Corinthians 15, I think this is one of the clearest presentations of the gospel. So if anybody's wondering what is the gospel, you're, you want to be able to articulate, this is a great place to go and 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 uh, see that. And... Um, and so we, you know, this 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 week we're going to continue there in verse twelve as 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 Paul is going to kind of dive deeper into the idea of of the resurrection and the fact that Jesus uh, himself, Jesus himself said, you know, I am the resurrection and the life. He he actually says, and we looked at last week the sign of Jonah, and when he said that, you know, tear down this temple and I will build it in three days, he he was basically telling them that the resurrection is going to be the proof that I am who. I say I am. And uh, that's kind of one of the exciting parts of looking at this particular uh, scripture. And did you, ha- you had a thought on that when we were talking before as uh, what he was talking um, on that particular topic? Yeah, what gets me really excited about this passage, but also I think, I think it's just really important. Like, I think sometimes we don't understand the full scale of what salvation is. And Paul reminds us of that starting in verse 24 
where he says, let me remind you of what's all going to happen. Like, because Jesus has been resurrected as the first fruits, there's coming a day when he will raise us up from the grave. And he talks about the things that will happen. There will be a judgment day. Jesus will return. And then finally, he will defeat death and the devil once and for all. And it says that he will deliver the kingdom to his father. And it just reminds me of Ephesians 1 verse 10, where it talks about God's plan for the ages, God's plan for the universe, which is that history has a direction, a trajectory, a, it's building up towards something, it's going somewhere, and God is orchestrating things. It's not just like random stuff happening. God is in control, and where is he taking all of this? He's taking us to this point where it says in Ephesians 1.10 that in the, in the fullness of time, he will unite all things under him, meaning Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. And so, I mean, that's really exciting. The fact that this is actually what we're talking about when we talk about salvation. It's not just being forgiven of our sins and having our guilt removed here and now. That's absolutely mm -hmm. part of it and it's important. But the cosmic part of it is this, like what is the big picture? It's leading up towards this thing. That is the gospel, that God is going to redeem us, redeem all creation, put an end to death and evil forever, and he will reign supreme in a kingdom where there will be joy, riches, and everything that our, our souls are made to desire and were made for, they will all be fulfilled in this kingdom that is to come, and that will be a reality. Yeah, and, and, you know, we use that phrase a lot. You know, we're, we've not only been saved from something, we've been saved unto something. And it's almost in just in the title of our, of our uh, series, isn't it? Grace and Truth. And the truth is we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And, and, and the truth is that Christ died for our sins, but then there was grace. Grace not only just, as you said, not left us where we were, but has now elevated us to sons and daughters of the living, the living God, you know, and, and, and we are now welcomed in as, as part. We're no longer called, the, you know, uh, slaves, we're called friends. And uh, so, yeah, no, it's a great thing that, that it's not just, the, you know, this is the beginning of something, this is not the end. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and beginning of that time, eternity with Christ. And, uh, but there are some interesting verses, you know, in this particular chapter and, and we covered a couple of them this particular uh, this week and and you weren't actually able to, to kind of really dive deep into them but one of those was uh, starting verse 27 um, this verse is you know has ca caused maybe a little confusion for for people over the years but he says for God has put all things in subjection under his feet but when it says all things are put in subjection it's plain that he is expected that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So what does that mean? <laughs> okay, so first of all, you'll notice that it says in verse 27, mm -hmm. for God has put all things in subjection under his feet, is in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> in this case, that's because this is a quotation from Psalm 110, verse 1, which is a psalm which Paul has quoted elsewhere already in 1 Corinthians. And, um, and so he's quoting from this and saying that this is what's going to happen. So this is a psalm, in other words, that Paul is saying is being fulfilled or will be fulfilled. It's a psalm which is a messianic psalm. It's referring mm -hmm. to the Messiah and what will happen. So ultimately, all things will be put in subjection under his feet. So to put something under someone's feet is a reference to conquest, right? So he will conquer. He will rule over all things including he will have conquest and vanquish death itself. 
Um, so he's referring back to that, but then he says this interesting phrase. And here's what's so interesting about this passage. Some people have taken this to say, oh, well, here's the proof that Jesus isn't really God, right? Because mm -hmm. for all of eternity, he will be in subjection to the Father. Um, actually, like, so some people would say, oh, you know, this is a problem for Trinitarian theology because Trinitarian theology, of course, says there is one God who eternally exists in three co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are separate, meaning the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Son and the Father are not the Spirit, et cetera, et cetera. They have different roles, and yet they are one God who in three distinct persons, right? That's Trinitarian belief. And some people would say, well, this is the proof that Jesus isn't actually God because for all of eternity, he is subject to the Father. And, um, well, first of all, it's, it, that does betray or belie, I would say, a misunderstanding of what Trinitarian theology is. Um, but it, it actually gives an important, this verse actually helps us understand Trini Trinitarian theology more than being a problem. Uh, let me explain what I mean. What it means is this, that it is telling us that Jesus, when all these things happen, when everything culminates, that everything in history is building up towards, right? When Jesus delivers the kingdom uh, to the Father, he will not graduate to being God or, you know, he will continue to be the Son, he has been the son from eternity past. He will continue to be the son for eternity future. In other words, Jesus, as that second person of the Trinity, he will continue to be that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, one of the uh, kind of explanations of the Trinity, which was deemed to be heretical or incorrect in the early days of Christianity, was this idea called modalism, which means that Jesus is a mode of God that was needed for a time, a manifestation, if you will, of God, and that when he's no longer needed, he just kind of, so to say, kind of is absorbed back into God, and that manifestation is no longer present. Or they might say, in modalism, they might say, the Father is a mode in which God presents himself, the Son is a mode, and the Spirit is another mode uh, in which God presents himself. So this would be kind of like um, water can be liquid, solid, if it's ice or a gas. Uh, some people think that's a really good explanation for the Trinity. In fact, that's a really good explanation for a heretical view of the Trinity yeah. <laughs> called modalism. Yeah. Um, but the, the point is this, that um, it isn't that once the son has completed his work, so to say, he will cease to exist or be absorbed back into God. What it's telling us is that the son has been the son from eternity past, and he will be the, the son for eternity forever. And so they are equal in value and in essence. This is a really important word for the Cappadocian fathers, who's what we call them. These were um, a couple of theologians from the region of Cappadocia, which is in Asia Minor, or we, we call it Turkey. Um, and this was around the 300s. They were really trying to hash out this idea. What does the Bible say 
about what we now call the Trinity, right? About the Father being God and the Son being God, and yet them being distinct, and the Spirit being God and yet distinct. And this is, you know, one of the things they pointed out is just that um, this is a really important verse for that because it shows that the Son has been distinct from eternity past and he will be a distinct for eternity future. They are one of essence. That was a key phrase for the Cappadocian fathers. Uh, Jesus is God. And yet Jesus is not the Father, and he will not become the Father, and he also won't supplant the Father, right? He won't uh, take his position uh, over the Father, and the Father will be in subjection to him. But no, 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 this will continue on as it has been, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, you know, this is a matter of their function and their order, structure, not a matter of um, value or essence. Mm-hmm. And, and not a value, uh, not a matter of authority, is it as well? Well, I would say there is a degree of authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, subjection infers authority, Ford, right? Yeah. So, so is this to say that the son doesn't have authority? No, no, no. It just means it's be like in the military, right? So um, there are different people who have different roles in the military, and that's, that's a similar uh, thing. Sim- similar thing. Yeah, no, that's it's very important, yeah, to, to put, point that out because, you know, as we just go to this next question, uh, there's two words that came to mind was context and contextualization. And, and um, it's important that we always read things in context. And, and we have a verse here that you did talk a little bit about, verse 29, where, you know, this verse has been used to, you know, out of context. But in a sense, uh, Paul is using contextualization, meaning the, the society in which they live, to, to answer their argument. And the verse is, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised, why are people baptized on their behalf? So we just wanted to touch on that one more time, since it is kind of a, can be a confusing verse, like, what on earth does that mean? Just take, you know, what is the answer yeah. to that? You know, <laughs> I've actually read, I read a lot on this, just to make sure that I understood it historically and all that. And there was one really interesting take. I felt like this guy was doing like gymnastics, <laughs> if you will, to like try and like make an explanation out of this that it was totally unnecessary because he was saying, oh, well, you know, people at that time, if they're Christians, they get martyred. And so if you're martyred, then you're dead. So if you get baptized then you're going to die, so therefore you're getting baptized and you know you're going to die. And I'm like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Like uh, the really simple explanation for this is a historical one. And that is that this was a pagan practice of getting baptized for the dead. And Paul is referring to the fact down in starting in, was it verse uh, 32 and mm-hmm. uh, ver- yeah. sorry, verse 33 and 34, particularly where he says, you know, bad company corrupts good character. And he says, we've been hanging out with these people who don't even know God. And these people who don't know God are influencing your theology. Like what, what are you doing? He says, wake up from your drunken stupor. Um, okay. So now he's referring to those same people here these people who are influencing them not to believe in life after death or the resurrection. And he's saying, um, hey, look, even these people who don't believe in life after death, they get baptized on behalf of the dead in a pagan practice. And yet it kind of gives away the fact that on some level, they do believe in life after death. Otherwise, what's the point of being baptized? In other words, there's almost like they're saying one thing, but they're doing another that shows that they actually do believe in something which they claim to not believe in. See what I'm saying? So it's kind of a, a double standard in a way. But Paul's just pointing out that they're being inconsistent. 
In other words, you know, if you're taking advice from these people, I mean, look at them. They actually do believe in life after death, even if they're telling you that they don't. Yeah, and that's that's why the word contextualization came <clears throat> up came to mind because we, you know, we've we've been looking we've looked at the idea of the gospel and contextualizing the gospel. The gospel never changes, but the way we present it, you know, and how. Uh, and how we, we we start conversations can change. And th- for me, this seemed to fit in that in that thing where Paul's like taking the argument of the oh he's finding a common ground, saying okay, well you disagree with this. Well, guess what? These you know it's a place and it's a place you can start to preach to these people. Well, mm-hmm. you know you don't believe in, in this particular thing about life after death, but hey, you you get baptized to the dead. Well, guess what? There is. There's yeah. one who he was. He died. He was baptized. He died, and he rose again. You know? yeah. And it's a place to start, you know, with the gospel and presenting presenting the gospel. And uh, so that's where that word contextualization came to my mind. But yeah, it was just a very strange verse. You know, it's like, and you know, we, I think you talked about this before. But in in a sense, we we are listening to one side of a phone call here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so much. you're not quite sure, like, what was the question that was asked in this particular thing that Paul is referring to? And it's just, you know, it's like gospel, gospel, gospel. And then he talks about. <laughs> oh, and by the way, by the way, baptizing from the dead, you yeah. know. And so, but uh, yeah, and but he does, you know, he does kind of end with this thing and uh, wake up from your drunken stupor. As is right, do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. You know, when I, you know, when I first looked at that verse, you know, it was just the idea that the, this Corinthian church just needed to wake up. And, mm-hmm. and that, you know, and I kind of connected in my mind, I immediately connected it back to the, the text, you know, the earlier on in the chapters, we looked at them getting drunk at communion services and things like that. Like, they were not keeping the main thing the main thing. And Paul's like saying, let me just remind you, brothers and sisters, what the main thing is here and that's the gospel and in chapter 15 and he ends there he's like for you know for some have no knowledge of god like why do you exist as a church you know it's just kind of one of those you know we've been talking this year about reorientating worship you know uh, our vision for reaching out and just kind of again the church in ephesus you know you know, remember, repent, respond, you know, and just to kind of go back and it just kind of fit a little bit within that topic, you know, as we've been looking at, hey, what, what do we exist? You know, there are people around us that have no knowledge of God and are we getting drunk basically at the communion table mm-hmm. is kind of what my thought was on that particular, you know, subject. I don't know if you had another thought on that. No, I, I think you're right. I think, yeah, he's, he's calling to wake up. I mean, that, that verse could be applied to the entire book, like you yeah. said. Kind of wake up. What are you? What are you guys doing here? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's a. And that's yeah. Just a great. Yeah. So just to kind of, re, you know, remind us. Just chapter fifteen, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. If you're, you wanting to learn how to articulate mm-hmm. your faith and you want to know what the gospel is, First Corinthians chapter fifteen. It's just a great place to start. And I just you know just says Paul says. I, I let me remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received and which you stand in, and just you know go through that, and it's just a great way, uh, a great place to start uh, for yourself and building your faith and for articulating the gospel to others that that you come into contact with, and and uh, and so yeah, if you missed any of our uh, any of any of the series, we're coming drawing to a close now to this particular series, and we have a new one coming up, and. 
and that's going to head uh, lead us into Easter. But First uh, Corinthians has been a great, great time, a great book. We've learned a lot of things, a lot of, a lot from the failures of the Corinthian church and, and the successes. And and uh, Paul's kind of drawn us into that process and learned a lot of practical things as well. And one of the most practical is what is the gospel. And so First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, uh, and we're going to continue with this next week. But if you missed any of the sermon, please. Uh, whitefieldschurch.com get over there and download it and share it with anybody that needs to hear about this the resurrection is such an important part of the Christian faith it's the center that Jesus rose again and defeated sin and death and so we look forward to seeing you next week God bless <laughs>